live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Jeffrey Chidiha, my man Jeff. What's up, dude? How are you? I'm doing well, brother. How are you? I am so good. Like I mentioned, now you are sitting in the one hole right off the very top. You set the tone for the entire week. It is the most critical and gnarly week of the broadcast year. There is an inherent responsibility and pressure that comes along with Ooh. it. How you feeling, man? Do you have this? I, I feel good. I got my walk-up music going. I saw Wyoming was getting played before this show came on, so I'm hyped about that. Played football there. So, yeah, I'm ready to go, man. All right, I love it. I knew you would be. That's why I asked you. All right, so you wrote recently for NFL.com, quote, of all the potential matchups for Super Bowl 57, this was the one that was always the most intriguing. Look, I understand that we got the yeah. top two seeds, right? What do you like so much about this particular matchup? Two best teams. Uh, for one, you got Andy Reid going back facing Philadelphia, Kelsey brothers. You got the two MVP candidates, Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes. And really, you know, you're a boxing guy. Styles make fights. You got one team that's wide open, loves to throw the football over the place. Another team will grind it out, beat you up. So, to me, the, the style of it, the personalities, it's everything you want in this game. Jeffrey Chidiha is joining us. Styles do make fights. Let me ask you this. The Chiefs, who you know pretty intimately, were supposed to take a step back when Tyreek Hill was sent out. Certainly, they're different without the Cheetah. Could you make an argument that they might actually be better without him? The quarterback is better, which makes them better. And so, yeah, I, I think if you ask Patrick Mahomes a year ago, two years ago, how he played football, it was, where's Tyreek? Where's Travis? I'm going to them no matter what play is called. Now he's throwing the ball to guys like Justin Watson and Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Sky Moore. He's going through his reads. He's playing within the system. But to your bigger question, yeah, the defense has gotten better. They've used their resources differently. And now I've always felt like two or three years ago, it was about can Patrick take over? Can this offense be explosive? Now it's about different people making plays at the right time. All right, so you mentioned the defense. Jeffrey Chidiha is joining us. It is a defense that has stepped up, and a really young defense. Like, yeah. they're counting on at least a half a dozen rookies. And on the big stage in the AFC Championship game, these guys balled out. They did show up. This is a different stage and a different challenge. How do you think that young defense handles that stage and challenge? Well, they're not going to see an offensive line that has three offensive linemen down. That's a big deal. Um, they're seeing the best offensive line in football. Seen a mobile quarterback, which has always given Steve Spagnuolo defenses problems. You look at the way they played Denver this year. Two, two close games with Russell Wilson running the football around, so they have to be disciplined in that regard. But this defense is faster. It's more athletic. And that was something that general manager Brett Beach wanted to accomplish. He saw last year's unit as being slow. These guys can move pretty fast. So that will be a big factor in this game. Can that defense ele elevate again? Jeffrey Chidiha joining us. You mentioned that Spags has had trouble with mobile, mobile quarterbacks. Another point you made, we've never seen a dual-threat quarterback win a championship. Is Jalen Hurts going to be the first one to do it? If you ask me today, I would say yes. No. I, I feel like the Eagles have the better roster. I love Jalen Hurts, his personality, his aura. Got to spend some time with him earlier this year but when they were started undefeated. Let me jump in. What was that like? What do you what do you make of the guy's aura, his personality, his it, his process? Just take a moment and talk about him. You know, I, I don't like throwing this around too much, but I had a chance to be around Tom Brady in his first year as a starter in New England. And the intangible part of it, not the physical part or he's going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, just the work ethic, the way he approaches the game. The, the, the ups and downs earlier in his career. Like, he's just so steady and he's, he's a so flat calm. Line, right? This oh, a flat line. If you talked about somebody who lost their job in a major college program, had to transfer, came in a second round pick, was getting dogged uh, this time last year about can he be a franchise quarterback, he's always responded to that. So I, I love that about him, uh, about his game. 
You know, I wonder, like, what kind of fuel is he running on? You know, some guys wear that on their sleeve. They, if they feel disrespected, they let you know that they feel disrespected, and they let everybody know they're taking mental notes and they're checking all these boxes. How, what do you think he's running on? Does he have that kind of chip on his shoulder? Oh, or yes. Or is he more stoic? Uh, without question. He's stoic about it. He's not going to go out there and, and brag about it or use it in the way that Joe Burrow does, for example. Joe yep. Burrow will tell you. I'm going to kick your ass because I didn't like you. You, 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 you disrespected me at some point in my career. I think Jalen's more, it's fuel. It, it goes into the tank. And that's where I think he's like Tom Brady because Tom Brady had a great quote back when he was a first-year starter in New England. He said, when they put you in the game, you never give them a reason to take you out. And I think that's how Jalen Hurts plays football. It's like, I'm going to show you every day why I should be the number one guy in this league. Jeffrey Chidiha is starting off the week for us here in the jungle. What about Brady? You mentioned him a couple of times. You did cover him. Did it surprise you that he retired? Uh, it, it, it surprised me in the sense that usually guys like that have to be carried out on their shield. I, I remember Jerry Rice in, off some of these guys, right? <laughs> remember Jerry Rice in Denver yeah, back in the day? Like that kind of stuff. But I think he realized. Think about that for a minute. Jerry Rice in, in Denver. Denver. For like that, just that, the that training camp. That's a real thing. That happened. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I wasn't surprised by that part. I think the season he had was very long, was very exhausting. First losing season in the NFL, obviously the marital stuff happened. Uh, it just seemed like he was not having a lot of fun. And I think, you know, we're, I don't know how old you are, I'm 52 now. You're, old enough to be your dad, dude, okay, that's how old right. I am. Okay, well I'll say this, when you're 45 and you're in a locker room filled with 20 something guys, you can feel really old really fast. And Tom Brady always loved being around the team and being around his play. I think he might have felt a little bit like, okay, this is not my world anymore. Huh. And maybe it was time to go. It's interesting because you're right. When you're that old, when you're the old head, maybe you feel like you don't fit in. But the fact of the matter is, although he didn't play that well last year, he still was playing better than a lot of guys half his age, right? No, he was. He, was. he can still play. And that's why I still think it's 99.9% that he's done. He may pull a Brett Favre, go home and have – whoever, Kyle Shanahan show up or, you know, some other team show up and say, hey, come play with us, Josh McDaniels. But I do think that he said he wanted to play until he was 45. He's done that. And I think once you get to your goal for him, that's probably enough for him. You know what I wonder? Like, when he said, when he turned that phone around on the beach and said, this is it, guys, I'm done, I believed him. I believe yeah. in that moment that he thought that he was done. I just wonder 30 days out, 45 days out, 60 days out, when he starts to feel better and he's a little bored, if maybe it might come back. Brett Especially Favre. if the right person is banging on his door, Brett Favre. Brett Favre, when he retired, minus it was... Minus the dong picks well, and minus him ripping money off that, want, that should have gone to somebody else other than himself, allegedly. Remember the tears in his first retirement press yes. conference in Green Bay? He was literally like, this is it, I'm done, it's over, and then he was in New York in August. Right. It was like two months later he was back. And so I always feel like you hear the players say, you don't want to make a decision like this too close Emotionally. to the season. Emotionally, right. And so I agree with you. I think the farther he gets away with it, the more that pull might be there. But again, like the big question now is where do you go? You got to start over someplace else. So where do you, where would he go? I, you know, look, I, San Francisco's sitting there on a platter. It's a no-brainer, right? A, it's a, on a platter. I mean, the, he can walk right in there, play for a year. You know you've got some young guys behind you that one guy's – well, both of them are hurt. One guy is not ready to really play in, in Trey Lance. So you walk into a team that's ready to win a championship. Very bright guy. He can see the, the possibilities of that. But, again, it's – the Raiders don't make sense to me. I think if he goes anywhere, if he comes back, it's San Francisco. All right, so what about that? What, what are you hearing about Brock Purdy? Are we talking about a guy who's going to need a complete reconstruction and a Tommy John procedure or just a repair? 
Well, I think right now, I think they're still figuring that out. Like last time I heard he was going to get a second opinion, but unfortunately, when you're a football player, that's not as big of an injury as it is for a, for a pitcher in baseball. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like he can be recovered and ready to go by training camp if he has to have that operation. The bigger question is, who's their starting quarterback next year? Is it the guy they spent all this money, all these draft picks to get, or is it the seventh-round pick? So where do you come out on that? Do you think that they fully know what they have and have decided on Trey Lance, or had they just given up so much that they have no choice but they have to play him? I feel like we're living in a world where you can make those decisions and not feel so bad about what you put into it. Huh. Like you may have a sunk cost, but I could easily see Trey Lance becoming Jordan Love you know, in a situation like this where you've got a guy you've seen play, a young player who's cheaper, also on a rookie deal who operated at a high level in this offense with the players like. You know, Trey Lance has always offered the upside. But ultimately, Brock Purdy has played more football than Trey Lance has. 100%. <laughs> and, and is one in the system. Yeah. and what is, So what do you have to see? If you're a coach, you're sitting there, all right, it's great for Trey Lance. And maybe Trey Lance can be traded someplace else if you go with Brock Purdy. But I think it's a great situation for the 49ers moving forward. So just out of curiosity, who would you rather have? Do you, do you know enough to know? And have you seen enough to know? Would you rather have Trey Lance or Jordan Love? Oh, oh man, that's a tough question. Hadn't thought about that, huh, Stud? I hadn't thought about that one. No, that's a good, good one. man. I would say that'll stump you very often. Good. Yeah, I would say, I would say Trey Lance because I think he's playing with a coach who knows how to use quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And so I, for me, Jordan Love is in a situation where they're asking him to be Aaron Rodgers' successor, where that person doesn't exist in San Francisco. So there's less pressure on Lance. He's playing for a quarterbacks coach who knows how to use quarterbacks, no matter who's playing the position. And he's got a great roster around him. So I think he's in a better position to have success. Jeffrey Chidiha joins me for a few more moments. Go back to Philly for a minute. What's the biggest difference between this Eagles team this year, the one that won the NFC, and the one that went 9-8 and eight last year? Uh, just new faces. You know, you bring in Hassan Reddick. You bring in James Bradbury. You bring in C.J. Gardner-Johnson. You bring in A.J. Brown. You Is up. Howie Roseman any good? Yeah, he's pretty good. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I did a story on GM's aggressiveness, and, uh, they were one of the teams I wanted to focus on in the story because this game in itself is also uh, a referendum on philosophies. On the one hand, you have the Chiefs who are, let's go get a franchise quarterback. Let's ride him for 15 years and see how much we can win with him. On the other hand, you have what Roseman is doing, what Les Snead did a year ago, which is let's go all in. We can manage this. Whatever happens after this is fine. So I think Roseman has done a great job of finding the right people to fit what they have around Jalen Hurts and to go for it. All right, so what about Sunday? What is your early lean? What do you think about the matchup other than styles make fights, and this is a really good fight? Who do you like? You know, I, I've gone back and forth about this. Same. Me too. Uh, I, I love Mahomes. I, it's hard to bet against him with what he's done right now. But I look at this kind of game is always decided in the trenches, and the Eagles are stronger on the offensive line, on the defensive line. And so you look at the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. When they can protect Mahomes against the Niners, they won. When they couldn't against the Bucks, they lost. I think – that D-line against the Chiefs offensive line, especially Andrew Wiley and Orlando Brown, that's the difference. I'm going Eagles. I think that's key. What about before you go, Andy Reid, somebody else you know pretty well. Our dude is 27-4 and four when he has an extra week yeah. to prepare. Is that any kind of angle or any kind of factor to you this week? Well, that's another factor for me. Yeah, I mean, he's so good coming off bye weeks and, and you know, building strategies for these kind of games. I just feel like the matchups. I look at the, the Eagles do a lot of things that give the Chiefs problems. The mobile quarterback. They have James Bradbury, who had success covering Travis Kelsey against when he was with the Giants last year. The pass rush, the offense. I think the Chiefs to win this game. Mahomes, Kelsey, and Chris Jones have to play at a high level. 
think the Eagles have ways to deal with Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey. So one last thought. We mentioned Andy Reid. Where does this all leave Eric Bieniemy? Like, is Eric Bieniemy going to go through another cycle and not get a job? Would he take another job, a lateral job, just to change things up? Like, what do you think is going on in his head right now? You know, I've said this for the last couple of years, like, and, I, and I love Eric. I've known Eric since he was in college. When we were in college, he came with, I went to Wyoming. He was in Colorado. We had similar friends. I've said last couple of years, it's probably time to move on and go someplace else. It's like a house being on the real estate market too long. Right. You know, I love that analogy. <laughs> I always use it. I mean, what do they do with those houses? Yeah. They take them off the market so they can reset the days they've yeah. been on the market at zero, right? Yep. Marvin, Marvin Lewis who was a great coordinator in Baltimore, record-setting coordinator. He went to Washington for a year before he got the Bengals job. I, I think that's the kind of move that the enemy has to make. Didn't go to Colorado. I thought he would go there. But if he's going to stay in the pros, go somewhere else. Get out of Andy Reid's shadow. Dude, really quickly, I haven't talked to Bianami in years, but I did talk to him early in his career when he was in the NFL. He's one of my favorite guys ever. What was he like in college? He was a wild man. He wild, dude. He, wild. he, he, he ran edge, right? He was, he talk about alpha males. Like, he defined oh, yeah. what alpha male was. That's why I loved him. Yeah. I, I saw him actually at a football game. He had a broken foot. He was on the sideline. The bus were playing somebody Oklahoma State. Something happened in the stands. I think his mom was involved. I saw him jump in the stands with Hell crutches yes, on did. to go fight <laughs> before his mom. I was like, he was that dude. In college. He's still that dude. He's a he great leader. Dude. Phenomenal leader. No, great leader, a great football guy, but he is that dude. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't change, no. right? No. Jeffrey Chidiha starting us off. You can see him on NFL.com, also an honor of talent on NFL Network. My man, I appreciate you. Thank you for getting us started. That's the way you start the row. Hey, I'm here for you, bro. Appreciate Anytime. you, dude. Very Thank much. You, Good to see you. Hey, now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Of course. Can I tell you, I'm starving after every workout. So this time, do not make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and it's tender. And it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously. And you can taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried out? rough beef in a bag nobody it's like eating a shoe old trapper though is the real deal and it comes in four amazing flavors old-fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness teriyaki peppered and hot and spicy for those who like to take things up a notch so next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime anywhere grab some old trapper beef jerky look for old trapper in the clearview bag that way you can see exactly what you're buying look for it in major retail stores near you if you don't see it clones ask for it by name because no other jerky compares old trapper what is your beef Willie Bloomquist is my guest. Willie, what's up? It's good to see you. No, oh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. So bring me up to date. Like, I'm kind of curious about your headspace. You're getting ready to start the season. You open up February 17th against San Diego State. It's year number two. You've got your philosophy. You've got some of your own guys in. How are you feeling about things? Well, I feel better. Um, you know, this year versus last year, obviously, we, we had a... Uh, you know, some certain challenges that we had to address, and, and we, we feel we did that as best we could in the, in the transfer portal and some different things and, and brought some uh, some depth in the pitching, and we brought some young guys in that I think can help out and, and some nice older veteran pieces too that can hopefully guide those young guys along and, and hopefully build this thing. All right, so there's not a coach in any sport that I talk to that does not reference the portal almost right off the top like you just did. So how are you personally approaching it in the way of retaining players, recruiting players, and getting guys into your system? How important is it going to be to you? Well, I mean, it, it, it's, it was everything this year, but uh, of course the rules are, are changing and everything is fluid on that. So they, they've, they've thrown some new rules in the portal at us this year, certainly. So that's going to be a, it'll change 
change our philosophy if we end up going that route again. Uh, we knew we were going to have to do it this year to kind of replenish a, a, a thin pitching staff that we had last year. Um, but I think as you move forward, you know, my, my take on it is uh, hopefully we can use it when necessary and it's not going to be, we're not going to have to rely on it every year. I would love to build with our freshmen that come in every year but, um, and use the portal as a necessity when we have to. In other words, you want a developmental program as well. Willie, what about the portal? For instance, when you bring guys in, like there's a certain way of doing things, right? You have your culture. You've got the Arizona State way of doing things. When you bring somebody in from the portal, do you have to kind of like reprogram them? Or how does that work exactly? How do you get them acclimated as quickly as possible? Well, I mean, it, it's uh, it's definitely a challenge because you're bringing guys in that have been at uh, most of the time a different four-year program, and they do it their way. And, and you're trying to have a bunch of different guys come in and, and have them, like you said, do it our way. Um, and they're leaving, you know, leaving for a reason. They have they have some aspirations of doing things. So to get them on the same page and doing it the way we want to do it, and and knowing that this is kind of you know you only get one time to transfer four to four, um, and having to do it our way, they they have to you know in a sense. So uh, part of that is is developing and trying to find the right type of mentality, the right type of kid um, that is going to do that and be able to adjust to what we want to do. All right. So your baseball life has been pretty amazing. Follow me on this if you would. Like I always say, as I look back on my own life in broadcasting. As many amazing things that have happened to me in my career, some of my favorite moments were working in college radio. Some of my favorite moments were in those formative years on the way up. As I mentioned, you played 14 years in the bigs, but you had a great college career. I mean, it sounds crazy to ask, but were your three years in college, would you put them up against any of your years in the big leagues? Hands down. Yes. How come? Uh, just the experience of, of college, um, experience of being part of something special. You're playing uh, you know, Pat Murphy, when he was my head coach, told me, you're never going to play another game that's meaningful like this unless you're fortunate enough to make it to the postseason in the big leagues. Because um, everything else, you know, respectfully, once you get to the professional ranks, you're, you're, it's your job. You know, you're, you're, it's your livelihood. So uh, you're really playing true winning baseball when you make it to the postseason, uh, if you're fortunate enough to do that. And, and so every game at the collegiate level on a much smaller scale is, is like, a, like a playoff game. And you're playing hopefully for your program, for your team, uh, the pride that you have. And then I think you combine that with the overall college experience um, uh, of Arizona State. And, and we all know what, what a fun school ASU is. And I met my wife there. You know, there is a lot of fun things to do on this campus. And uh, just that whole overall college experience, those three years were arguably the best of my life. All right, so help me with this. I don't want to personalize this too much, but we have a son who's a senior in high school, PO, pitcher only, definitely not good enough to put in front of you, all right? He's not that. But, in fact, I think he's not going to play college baseball. We talked about it for a while, did a few showcases, maybe, maybe, maybe small school possibilities, but I think that he's picking the weight room and the social life and everything else over baseball. Here's my question. He's in Arizona. He's in Arizona State. He's in Kansas, Kansas State, Boise State, Colorado State. He is waiting on Boulder. He's waiting on Indiana. Give me your pitch, man. Why is Arizona State the place for this kid? Walk down Palm Row, uh, Palm Walk, and <laughs> you'll know easy? exactly the pitch. So he, his place is special, man. You get beautiful weather, uh, lots of different majors at this campus uh, under, under the Arizona State umbrella, uh, lots of great programs to, to major in and study in. Uh, the athletics department is, is great. There's a lot of buzz going around what we have going on right now. Uh, campus life is fun. Mill Ave is fun. There's a lot of great things to do around here. I know this. Listen, you, what's really interesting is how you ended up here. I mean, you're a Washington native. Your family, we're all diehard Husky fans. There was a full ride waiting for you to become a Husky. Two-part question, how did you end up here? And then what was it like telling the old man that you were coming here? 
Well, that was a it's a long drawn out story, but I won't I won't bore you with it. But bottom Give line, me part of it, though. Um, you know, my sister was uh, ended up going to school here, and she's she's uh, ten years older than me, and and she would always send Arizona State gear because she knew I was diehard baseball, and, and just part to piss my dad off a little bit. Let's be honest, and uh, you know that worked. They uh, do that, don't they? They do. Yeah, we, we do that. They do that. I think everybody does that. And so ultimately, I, I wanted to come down and watch uh, an ASU game when I was a kid. And my, my dad finally reluctantly brought me down here uh, to watch a game, and I fell in love with it. And I just, I'm like, I'm going to play there one day. And that became on my radar. And then, uh, you know, growing up with, a, with an older brother that was playing football at Washington, my dad was a diehard Husky. I grew up a Husky fan. And then when I started getting recruited by Arizona State, it was in the back of my mind, I knew that's where I wanted to go to school. And, um, Took my recruiting trip down here, and then having to tell the old man that I'm that I committed on my trip um, was, Whoa, was certainly so you committed without discussing it with him or Correct. telling him. Yep. And, and then how did that go when you told him? Well, you know what? I was expect my dad was a big burly, you know, kind of man, and 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 one that you always have to run things through him type thing. And and he didn't go on that recruiting trip with me um, like he had on the other ones. And so uh, he told me before I went, don't go committing to anything down there while you leave. And so you did it. And so I went to ASU and it had that kind of impact on me. I'm like, there is no way I'm not coming to school here. This place is, and I'm making my own decisions. So I went and told him I thought he was going to, thought he was going to strangle me, but he ended up putting his hand out and said, damn it, that's the right place for you to be. And I'm proud of you. You made the decision on your own. I, I know you need to go play for Pat Murphy. You're going to become better. Way to so, go, Pop. I like yeah, that. it was pretty cool. Willie Bloomquist joining us. So what about Arizona State? Like, I, I understand this because of my age and my generation, but when I think about that program, I think about some of the all-time greats. I think Reggie Jackson. I think Barry Bonds. The list goes on and on. Rick Monday, even back in the day. The guys that you're recruiting right now, do they know? Are they familiar? How much of that history are you selling to recruits? Well, that, that to me is, um, you know, more importantly than that, I, I'm telling him you're representing those guys. Huh. And, and you're representing the, you know, the 980 Wait, do players. Do they care? Do they understand that? Do they care? They better. About the, the, right. And, and right now, um, to be honest, this generation, it's getting more and more entitled, as we all know. But it, it's, it's important for them to understand why I'm hard on them, because I want them to know that they represent something bigger than themselves. They're carrying the torch. And, and these guys before us, all the guys on the wall that you listed, Bonds, Jackson, Alvin Davis, Floyd Bannister, Jim Horner, those guys, uh, Pedroia's. You're representing them, and they care about the program more than you know, and they're watching and following everything we're doing. And if you're going to misrepresent the program by, by playing a lazy brand of baseball, you're misrepresenting them. So you're playing for something greater than yourself. Dude, you wouldn't want Dustin Pedroia to show up and see that crap. Like, I, I love the guy. I haven't talked to him in a few years, but there's nothing about that guy that I don't love in terms of what he got out of what he had, his grind, his grit, his, his just fire. When you look back at him and the way he had – an approach, a makeup, the way he attacked the game. What kind of thoughts do you have? Well, I think that's what what uh, embodies being a Sun Devil is all about, right? And and when when ASU was really rolling in, in the you know the early 2000s, those were the type of players that were being generated out of out of Murph's program. Was you know Pedroia, Ethier, Cole Calhoun, Mike Leak, those type of guys that uh, you know were grinders, that they were overachievers, that had a chip on their shoulder with something to prove. And to me, that's um, you know that's the brand of baseball. You know we're 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 not always going to get the top number one tier talented guys, but we have to have the guys that are grinders that uh, have a mentality. They're not going to back down to anybody. And and I think guys like Dustin, 
um, you know, when he's come out and spoken to our team, it's, it's that's what you want those guys to understand that, dude, he's 5'8 five, five, and a buck 42, and the guy's uh, an MVP, an MVP and, and arguably one of the greatest second basemen in the history of the game. So you can do it. You just have to have the mentality to do it. No doubt. Well, so before you go, how, how did you end up there? Like the last five years, you were a special assistant for the Diamondbacks, and you handled roles on both the business and baseball side. I mean, at that point, were you thinking that your career was going to be in the front office? Or did you always have in the back of your mind, I want to manage or I want to coach? No, I, I, to be honest, um, I'll, I'll shoot you straight. I was sick, yeah. of, sick of baseball when I got done playing. I just, I, I was burnt out on it. I didn't really want to do uh, manage, you know, in pro ball. It just didn't light my fire at all. Um, you know, I wanted to kind of just be around it in case, I, you know, it's convenience sake. And, and, you know, the D-backs and Derek Hall were awesome enough to have me in that type of role, um, you know, help out when, when I wanted to, that type of thing. But, um, you know, uh, when I when I got contacted by by the department at, at the athletic department at ASU about hey um, you know we might be making a change here is this something you're interested in um, you know it was difficult because I, I I was have a good That's relationship with, with Tracy Smith and is is a good man and um, but man it, it lit my fire real quick and I'm like I'm not going to do something unless I'm passionate about it and when they said this is real if you want to do it and it it uh, it lit my fire right up, and I'm like, yeah, I, I can't, I can't turn down an opportunity to go back to a place that I love and am that passionate so about. So finally, is it what you thought it would be? And then, what's the biggest adjustment you've had to make? Well, it is. Um, I knew it was going to be a lot. Everybody warned me it's going to be an awful lot, and it has been. Um, but it's a lot in a different way than I was expecting. I thought it was going to be a lot of on the field, what was meant to be a lot. But uh, you know, it's all the off the field stuff that is is difficult. The recruiting game is vicious. It, it's nasty. Um, and now you throw the NIL stuff in there with it, and along with everything else, with the limitations that we have, um, it makes it very challenging, especially with somebody that doesn't have any experience doing it, you know, coming in and having to learn all this on the fly with the changing rules of the environment. It's been a, it's been a challenge, but, the, you know, you got two choices. You can learn it and try to, try to execute it the right way, or you're going to get left in the dust. Hey, I love it. I, I love college baseball. I think it's tremendous. Last quick thought, like you are now – if you're going to be successful on any level in coaching, you have to connect with the players. You have to build relationships. But I have a 22-year-old. I have a 17-year-old. Man, I adore these dudes. These are great dudes. However, I'm an old head, and you have to connect and bond and have that relationship. How do you go about doing that with your young guys? Well, I think it, it's just you got to be real with them. You know, there's times when when you gotta when you gotta spur them a little bit, and there's times when you gotta love on them a little bit. And I think it's just finding that some kids can handle, you know, a little bit more firmer approach, and other kids that. Uh, you know, you don't want to turn them into softies because you know that this environment, when you start playing in, in some hostile places on the road, it, you know, they're going to they're gonna heckle you and you have to toughen them up for that. But um, on the same token, it, it, you're absolutely right. You have to relate and find out what makes them tick. Um, and, you know, it's not like the old generation where you can just run them, you know, until they throw up and, and that's how you do it. You have to navigate the waters where sometimes it's necessary, but sometimes they need a they need an arm around them, too, and, and you have to... And sometimes they need a kick in the ass. <laughs> I, I would prefer that approach more often than not, but uh, there is a fine line on how much well, of that you can do. The world has changed. That's the game right. has changed. I understand that, too. Willie Bloomquist, my guest, he is the head coach at Arizona State. Like I said, Coach, I love college baseball. Wanted to get some local flavor. Wanted to see you here in person. Really appreciate the visit. Thanks so much. Have a great season. Come out and watch us, man. We yeah. open up next Friday, so man, we're all my, excited. Maybe my kid ends up here. Could That's be. That's right. That's right. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know that you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection? The latest innovation from Discover. 
Discover will help routinely remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data, and they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. Tori Lovello. Tori, what's up? It's good to see you. Romy, it is always a pleasure to catch up with you and see you. I appreciate Dude, you having me here. It is so good to see you, man. I'm glad you yeah. came by. Yeah. You told me before we started, your telephone number still has an 818 number to it. Dude, yeah. don't ever change that. Never. You know, the beauty of it is, um, you know, I'll make calls here in the Valley, and uh, people be like, it's not 602, and what, I'm not where, where, that what are you doing? Like, I am never changing my phone number for the rest of my life. I'm so Wait, proud of where that. I came from. Okay, explain that. So, you know, I think what a lot of times, right, you get a, you get a cell phone given to you right in my position and they they want to give you the phone number uh they want you to be local so everybody picks up the local number and sees a local number but there's no way i'm changing that i am so proud of where i came from i'm so proud of the san fernando valley where i grew up i grew up in encino went to a tiny prep school called Montclair prep in van nuys california went to ucla so I, I didn't. I, I, there was a chain link fence around where I was. I didn't know when I left the state at 21 years old. I was like, "Where am I? I got to go back to the valley." Dude, I'm telling you, preach, preach. Encino was right down the road for me. I grew up in Hidden Hills. I went to Calabasas High School. I played little league ball at Sherman Oaks Little League. Okay, great but spot. I started, yeah. Great spot, right? Yeah. I started off on the west side, then we moved to the valley. So I understand that. I, I love that you feel that strongly about the valley. I love the valley, and I still do. My mom lives in Encino, pretty much in the house that I grew up in. Um, my brother still lives in Encino. Um, so I, I'm very proud of my roots. I know where I came from. I know that uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of special people that have come out of the valley, and I'll never forget it. I love that. Tori Lovello joining us. So, Tori, let me jump right into it. When you look at the NL West... Obviously, we're talking about a division that is really stacked. It's loaded, clearly. Dodgers, Giants, Padres, talented, committed, well-run organizations. I mean, this division is a meat grinder. Where do the Diamondbacks fit with this group this year? And do you feel like, secondarily, your best can beat their best? Of course I do. I have to feel that way. Um, And I get to ask this question all the time. Uh, It's the first thing that everybody wants to know. How are you guys with a $90, $100 million payroll going to compete against teams that are putting up $250, $300 million payrolls? First of all, we love that. We embrace that. We, we, we acknowledge it. We don't try to run away from it. We talk about it as a group. We talk about it from a leadership standpoint. We let that trickle down to the players. We just got to be better. We got to prepare better and execute better. We got to do it at a very high level. So we pride ourselves the on margins, win. right? The margins. We win the margins every single time we can. And we talk about the margins. We talk about how to win the margins. Um, we talk about winning the inch. I don't know if you saw the Al Pacino movie uh, where he talked about there's one inch out there that you're fighting for between you and the person standing a foot foot from you so there's there's inches all over a baseball field and we talk about preparation and effort uh, and adaptability those are big words inside of our culture okay so you might not have the payroll that others have but that does not mean that you're not aggressive in trying to improve the roster in fact you were aggressive in the offseason you made that deal for Kyle Lewis who was the rookie of the year in 2020 mm-hmm. what do you like about him and then what does he bring to your clubhouse and lineup well you know he's a rookie of the year right so he he did a lot right as a young player and he was brought up the right way in a very good organization and we know uh, you know Scott Service and what they're doing up there in Seattle they they, they teach their players the fundamental aspects of baseball and we like that um, and we're, we're happy we got a chance to, to get him into this organization he's a right-handed bat we were a very left-handed hitting team last year so we need some good right-handed hitting and he's going to get some opportunities to help us win some baseball games sorry what about the rotation you've got Zach Gallon, of course he won 12 games last year in ERA of just over two and a half 
Overall, how pleased are you with that crew that you run out to the bump, a crew that also still includes Matt Bump? Yeah. Well, you know, Bum is a special creature, right? He's won three uh, World Series. Dude, can you take a moment to talk about Bum being a special creature? He is, right? Yeah. Oh, he's a freak. He is a freak. Uh, he loves to win. He wants to, he wants to go out and compete. And you know, on his worst day, you wouldn't know that he doesn't feel good. He's going to give you five, six innings and go out there and keep you in the baseball game. And that's all you want your starting pitchers to do. Uh, but you're right. We have Zach Gallon, who I think was fourth or fifth in the Cy Young balloting. Uh, we have Merrill Kelly. We signed back Zach Davies. Uh, so those are going to be four of our guys. We're going to count on. Early but we got a we've got a strong group of young pitchers underneath them that are ready to go out and compete for that fifth spot. And Tony, not only that, but some other good young players. Like you've got a really nice young player in center field in Corbin Carroll. Mm. What impresses you the most about him? His tools and skill set, or maybe the way he operates between his ears? Yeah, for me, uh, you know, you get to this level because you're talented, right? And then you got to have some separators. His separator is, is from the shoulders up. And uh, I think the one thing that stands out about him is that he asks questions. He's always on a search for why. And I've asked every instructor to be able to answer why because our players are asking, how do I do something and why am do, I doing it? Do you it? want them to? I mean, back in the day, nobody wanted why. Just do what we tell you to do. Uh, do I you want why? I bring that up all the time, right? My first manager was Sparky Anderson. When he told me to do something, I would do it right now, even though I didn't agree with it. And I knew how it made me feel on the inside. I was like, well, it's, it's a legend, and he's telling me this. I will do it, but it's not probably the best approach for me personally. I love that our, our players ask why. What's important to them is important to us. And I tell them, ask why if you don't understand something. And as a coach, you better have the answer for them. You know, Tony, you mentioned Sparky. Like, I, I get what you're saying, that he would tell you to do something. You think to yourself, yeah, you know, that might not be the best course of action, but it's Sparky. So right. I'm going to do it. You know, I used to interview him when I first got my break. You know, when you were younger and still playing, Sparky, man, he was always accessible. Like, yeah. he was always accessible. He would come in studio, he would do the interviews, and, man, he was great to sit with. What kind of marks do you give him as a baseball man, and what was he like to play for? Well, uh, just what you would think. He was he was ahead of his game um, with, with the aspects of uh, understanding the game. He knew what was happening across the field in the other dugout. But he was like my baseball father. I had a great dad, don't get me wrong. But when I left at 21, like I mentioned, I migrated into the Detroit Tigers system, and I got a chance to meet Sparky Anderson. He treated me like a, he, I, I was his son. He always told me at the end of the game, if your parents are here, you go out there and say, thank you. I love you. I appreciate you coming here. And I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for you. The, my favorite thing about Sparky Anderson, you remember the old white pages when you had sure. to go in there to look for your phone number? Yes. He list, he was listed until basically the day he died Incredible. or there was, or you were on your phone and Googling somebody is George Anderson in the white pages. Mm. Like who would do that? He was one of the most famous managers George of, all, of George. all time. Yeah. He put his number in, in the white pages, accessible to everybody. He was humble like that. You know, when you talk about he was like the baseball dad, even though your dad was great. Yeah. At what point, like I've got two kids who played baseball, right? One's now, they, they played, I have a senior in high school, mm -hmm. and my other one played until his senior year in high school. He's now a senior in college. But there's that point where they get beyond dad. When did you get beyond dad and then have to get specialized coaching? Well, uh, gosh, that was pretty good. My dad was always accessible to me emotionally. He was always there to support me and love me and, uh, you know, never missed a game. Uh, he coached me a lot. Uh, but I think I probably outgrew him in high school. And yeah. I, I need a little bit more in high school. I didn't know who I was or what I was. I just loved sports. And I went to Montclair Prep where I played football. The day it was over, I went to basketball. And that was over, I went to baseball. I just loved sports. Is what we Sorry, did. How big is that? I'm starting to run. How big is that? Like, we guys don't do that anymore. How much did going season to season, sport to sport, help you as a baseball player? Yeah, I don't get the specialized theme right now. Even and you I, don't. I, I, it's, it's hard for me to grasp because I only did it one way. And I was outside until it got dark playing everything that I 
I could, went to school, practiced, did all that, and, and I feel like it helped me become a more agile athlete. I was able to train myself with different movements and different patterns. Um, you know, a good friend of mine who I went to high school with is uh, Toy Cook. He told me that he would make over-the-shoulder catches and interceptions at the NFL level. Dude, I, f- I forgot about that. Toy Cook has called this show for years. Toy Cook's a big jungle guy. Oh, he, he's one of the so, best. So when you guys went to best. school together, did yeah. you both know that you would turn pro ultimately and have that life? I think we talked about it. We dreamed about it. He was a way better athlete than I was. Obviously, spent 10 years in the NFL. And a Stanford man. He went to Stanford. He was just a very gifted athlete, and I knew that. Uh, but, you know, we would go out there and push one another. We practiced. We did things. We saw things a little bit different than most of the other student-athletes at Montclair Prep. And I think we talked about it. We dreamed about it. And it actually happened. You're talking about 49 high school seniors in my graduating class two of which went on to play pro sports for a long time. That's incredible. Right? That's incredible. I I love that stat so much. You know, Sean Casey was talking about this the other day, and I love the mayor. I love Case. But he was saying, man, I would look around the minor leagues, and I would see guys everywhere I looked that I knew were better than me. They just were. They were more talented. They were better. But they didn't have the mindset. They didn't have the grind. And when things went wrong, they would crumble. How often do you see guys that absolutely have the talent and the skill set, but just not the makeup or the mental tenacity, and they don't make it? Yeah, that's always a big challenge, right? You're talking about elite high school athletes that probably excelled and just were out out muscling you because they were better athletes and all of a sudden it gets a little more challenging I remember looking up just like case case man would say and and everybody was just as good as me and what was my separator going to be and mine was my work ethic I just went out and worked as hard as I possibly could you know and there's doubt in sports and you got to you got to fight it every single day you know you got a good dog and a bad dog which one are you going to listen to you've heard that a thousand times I right? love it I think so case, true. case was the classic case he always listened to the good dog and he fed the good dog every day I think it's so true so like I, I I love this notion of the separator. You're always looking for separation. We're no different, man. We, you and I still need to find our separation. Where is your separation now? Is it the same? Well, look, I always, I, I have the Dustin Pedroia mindset, right? Dustin, you asked Dustin Pedroia what, what, what he was most fearful of. He was most fearful of the guy on the bench or the AAA second baseman that was going to take his job, yep. and he would get Wally pipped and never play for the rest of his life. Um, my separator for me is getting caught in 2005, 2010 with some of the beliefs and people running over me because I'm just not doing my job and keeping up with what's going on every single day. Right, so how do you go about doing that? Because the game is so different right now. Yeah. And, I mean, Look, you want to trust your instincts. Your hunches do matter, right? But the game is very different analytically and with everything else. So how have you made that adjustment? Yeah, I have a great group of people around me. I have, I have, uh, you know, uh, my front office who I'm very close with. They, they are a 30,000-foot helicopter above me, paying attention to me, advising me, and I accept what they say. You know, I'm, I'm not proud, too proud to say that I know everything. Um, I think John Wooden said it's what you learn after you think you know everything is the most, it's most important. So I, I firmly believe in that. Yeah, but Tori, where do you draw the line? Like, I... How does it exactly work? I mean, are you hearing from that helicopter in games? Are they telling you what to do? Like, where do you draw the line? Because you are the manager still. Yeah, no, no. Um, I trust my gut. They're, they're very good. They understand where I'm coming from. They, they trust my instincts. They trust me as a leader, and I really appreciate that. So I make the lineups. I run the game, uh, and I talk about what happened after the game. And, of course, I have a lot of information in front of me that, that somebody is preparing for me. I study that. I pay attention to that. That's my job. You'd be foolish not to, right? Absolutely not. Look, it's like getting a glass of uh, iced tea, right? You're going to add a little sugar. You're going to add a little honey. You're going to add a little lemon. You want to make it taste perfect. So you got to use everything you possibly That's can. That's it. So before you go, another guy you have is Evan Longoria. What was your pitch to him, and what's he bring to your club at this juncture of his career that maybe you didn't have already? 
that he's going to help us win baseball games because he's a good baseball player. That and helps. His, and his leadership ability um, is going to be probably more counted on, and his DNA is going to be all over this organization, not only for this year, but if he plays with us next year and the year after. In 10 years, he's going to have a blueprint, and he's going to have some DNA all over Corbin Carroll, all over Alec Thomas. So we're super excited tonight. It's really quick, about 30 seconds. The reason why you're so comfortable under the lights on the big stage, you grew up in a show family business. Your father was a legendary TV producer. In fact, he was the co-creator of Hee Haw. Yeah. What was it like growing up in that family, a show yeah. business family? Oh, man, I didn't know. He was just my dad. I told you that already, right? He's just my dad, my baseball dad. But I was probably in fourth grade. Mrs. Huff Hines came to me and said, do you realize what your dad does? I'm like, no, my dad's pretty cool. She's like, he's extra cool. He's cooler than you think. He's a producer of Hee Haw. Do you understand that? And I would play cards with Roy Clark and think nothing of it. Dude, for real. Yeah, it's great. Did you take him for his money? Nah, he's always so good. Nah, he's just a good man. All right, Tori, appreciate you so much. I've always appreciated the friendship and the relationship. So good to see you, man. Thank you very much. Have a great season. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Don't make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you are buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And if you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what's your beef? Salman Wilcots is back on the program. Salman, what's going on? How are you? Jim, hey, great. Great to be on the show. I saw you wearing a crown in that open there, man. That was Cause pretty I'm, cool. Because I'm the king, you man. You are. You are. And if it, if it, <laughs> Good luck. And by the way, if I don't give myself credit, nobody will. I appreciate that, dude. Okay. Thank you for respecting the animation, the opening animation. <laughs> Listen, before you and I have a lot to get caught up on, before we talk Super Bowl, let me get your final thoughts on the Bengals because you and I did talk on this show yeah. before the game. As great a story as they are, you know, nothing is guaranteed going forward. Yeah. Yeah. That said, how much of a missed opportunity was that loss in the AFC title game after they rallied in the second half? Yeah, look, it was a major mistake because, look, the penalty put them in field goal range to kick the game-winning field goal. And it was sort of devastating for many of the players because they felt like they had the game right in their grasp on the last two possessions. Many, if you would have told me going in that Joe Burrow was going to have two opportunities to get the ball into the end zone to win the game, most of us would have said, oh, he's going to close it out. But when you're missing three of your five starters on the offensive line, Chris Jones took advantage of it. Let's be honest. Hey, that'll you know, happen. He feasted on that opportunity. And that's what these games come down to when you have these great teams. comes down to the final possession. And who can execute and exploit the other team's weakness? All right, so you mentioned Chris Jones. When we think about Philadelphia, we think about that unbelievable pass rush. Yeah. Are we spending enough time on Chris Jones and his ability to wreak havoc and blow things up? Not when you this look week, at the, I mean, I, Yeah, I think you should spend a little more time there. But remember, I, our attention is sort of drawn to the Eagles' defense. Yes. When you come in with That's 75 sacks, yeah. when you've got four guys with 10 sacks or more, who do you double-team? Who do you target? Who do you have to stop? When you have a defensive front, when Indomitian Sue is a backup – uh, you Listen, you better sit up and take notice. No, if, if you can bring that big dude in and he's fresh and you can spot him accordingly, yeah. they've got depth, they've got a lot of talent. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at that, you talked about the, the penalty on the sideline. As somebody who played in the league, as somebody mm-hmm. who's been in an NFL locker room, you know, that to me was a mistake of – that wasn't like a dumb mental mistake. Yeah. That's a dude chasing. That's a guy trying to That's make right. a play. That's, right. That's a guy trying to get it done. Now, you can't make that mistake in no. that situation. Mm-hmm. But how does that play in the locker room? And if you were a teammate, how would you have felt? Man, I, I think in the immediate moment, 
uh, you'd feel horrible because at the end of the day, it's about the outcome, right? Not how you got there. But uh, upon further notice, when you look at it, it was an effort, energy type of play. And that's all you could expect from defensive players. Run to the ball, hit, hustle, and hurry when you're playing on the defensive side of the ball. And then to step out, maybe step out of bounds and you hit him out of bounds, it really hurt your team. What it does, it heightens your overall football intelligence as a football team because that's something you, if you're Zach Taylor, you can play before your team and say, guys, as good as we are, this is where we have to get better. Every single person is responsible. And we can't be back in this position next year saying, look, we've got to play better from the neck up. We've got to be better from the neck Dude, up. Dude, you hope you are back in that position Absolutely. next year. And I, and I love that team. I love yeah. the way they run that team. Mm-hmm. But you know how hard it is to get there. Solomon Wilcox is yeah. joining us right now. One of the things I love about that team, and I'm not sure, he's getting more and more run right now and more and more credit. I'm a huge Lou Anarumo guy. I mean, I absolutely love this yeah. guy. Dude, is he, he's getting some run now as a potential head coach. Is he ready, and do you think they might lose him? I think he's ready. He's one of the finalists for the Arizona Cardinals yes. head coaching position, one of three finalists. I, I, selfishly, for a Cincinnati Bengals fan, I'm hoping that he'll return. Right. His, his, the job that he does in the second half with those adjustments, um, the, the ability to stop some of the most potent offenses, right, and hold them to single digits in the second half of some of these games, the ability to take the ball away at critical moments in these games as well. They went seven straight games to finish off the regular season and postseason with a second half or fourth quarter takeaway hmm. defensively. And there, his ability to just sort of throw a different pitch at, at these quarterbacks and at the offensive coordinators to leverage their ability to play defense at a much higher level, I think it's second to none. So, dude, it's a fallacy to say that there are never adjustments made at halftime. The guys go in, they hydrate, they hit the head. There's, act, there's some actual oh. work being done Oh, there's at some work being done. It, all you got to do is put the Cincinnati Bengals defense uh, under the microscope, put them on tape, and you can see different coverages, different looks. We were rushing three and dropping eight. Now we're bringing more, going man-to-man coverage on the back end. They're doing a lot of different things with the front front end and back end to give these quarterbacks a different look. Solomon, where's your legendary partner, Pack? Is he coming around this week? He's roaming around somewhere, man. I don't think he's arrived in town yet, um, but he will be around. We're expecting to see him here on Tell him I said, what's up? You know, I love him also. All right. right, So what about one more thought about the Bengals? You know, you go back to the original point. Joe Burrow's on that rookie contract, right? He's going to get a massive payday. He earned that massive payday. How challenging is it going to be to keep that core, the core of the group intact? I think it's going to be challenging. You and I both know you can't keep them all, particularly when you have a quarterback like Joe Burrow. I I expect him to come in right around $50 million a year, right? Um, The average of the top five annual salaries of the quarterbacks, top five quarterbacks right now, is right around $47 million per annum. Right. So you know he's going to be north of that. You know he's going to wait for Herbert and maybe Hurts to sign their deal. If you're a smart agent, that's what you do, right? And so you tend to come in a little bit higher than that. And the Bengals also have to um, re-sign T. Higgins. Remember, he came in the same year I as agree, Joe Burrow. I love T. Higgins. you got to bring him back. Right. Right? And then you got Jamar Chase next year. The Bengals uh, have the fourth most room of any team of the 32 teams under the salary cap, right around $44 million. Um, they're going to have to start home-growing offensive linemen. I don't know that you can go out and splurge and spin the way that they did last year when you consider how they're going to have to re-sign some of the talent they currently Solomon have. Solomon Wilcox joining us in courtesy of the Macy Knee Cartilage Repair, which I'll get to in one minute. I want to ask you this. As a Colorado alum, I want to ask you about yeah. Coach Prime. You played for Bill McCartney, yeah. who built the Buffs into an absolute monster. Yeah. Can Dion rebuild the monster now that he's in Boulder? I'm almost certain that he can. 
I remember it was after maybe my freshman, sophomore year. I took, talked to Coach Mack, and I said, Coach, you want to beat Nebraska? Let's go back to my neighborhood. Let's get some kids where I went to school and where I grew up. They're not afraid of Nebraska. They're not afraid of Oklahoma. Now, I grew up in Compton, California, so I knew we could go get an Eric B. Enemy, a Dion uh, Figures, a Darian Hagan. That's exactly what we did. Now you ask, well, how can they do that again? It's easier now. There's free agency yes. in this thing we yes. call college football, yes. right? It's called the transfer portal. Um, there's NIL. Have you ever been to Boulder, Colorado? Yes, I have. Beautiful. In fact, I want to ask you about that yeah. because we're looking for a college for my our senior in high school, and he's gotten into eight or nine schools, but but not Boulder. We not got, Boulder yet. We haven't gotten a yes yet, and that's gonna, where he wants to go. We're going we're gonna to make that happen because they're, they're – Dude, the, don't be saying things the, that you can't the, deliver because I'm going to hold you to that. But, but getting that kid back, wants yeah, that badly. Hey, hey, getting to the NIL deal, the corporate structure, the finances yes. in terms of – um, you know, corporate dollars, right? And what we call the NIL collective, it's there. It can happen. So we, we feel as good about our chances of turning our program around between the energy that Prime brings. He's a leader. He's a winner, right? He's the kind of person that young kids, if you say, look, football will give you the opportunity to change the trajectory of your life, and here is a guy that has done it and can show you now how to do it, why wouldn't you want to play for Coach Prime? You know, the thing that's amazing to me about Coach Prime is, you know, as you and I get up there in age, we know how hard it is to connect with, relate, and, right. and motivate and move the younger generation. That's right. Dude, the younger generation knows Prime. They get Prime. They, right. they respect right. Prime. They will, they will go for Prime. How does he do that? Jim, you know what? These oh, kids, you can't just point they, to YouTube, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, yeah. When he walks in a room, he obviously has that it he's, he's and got that vibe he's throwing off. He's got charisma, for one. He's been there and he's done that, for two. Everything. And I can tell you right now, he's a helper of people. You, Dion has played, <laughs> Coach Brown has played for multiple teams in multiple sports. You're not going to find one guy that said he was a bad teammate. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I both know across the landscape of sports for guys who, quote, have, have an ego. And he, look, he had charisma. He had this thing about him like a Joe Namath. Wherever he goes, everyone else goes with him. Right. Right? But he's not too big and that other players won't follow him. He's always been that force multiplier everywhere he's been across multiple sports. How many guys can say that? I think that's really interesting. You know, you talked, you mentioned Eric Bieniemy, and I had mentioned yeah. earlier, Jeffrey Chidiha came on, and we were talking about Bieniemy because he went to Wyoming, and Bieniemy was at Colorado, and I said, man, the thing about <laughs> Bieniemy, man, I, I, I've given up trying to get him on the show. Back in the day when he played, he yeah. was one of my favorite interviews ever because he was always so real passionate, and so right? raw. Dude, that's passionate right. That's right. And, and fearless, and yeah. a guy that you knew you didn't want to mess with, but you were fine <laughs> as long as you were fine, right? That's right. That's right. For those who do not know, what what's Compton like? What was it like for you to grow up in Compton and come up that way, play ball there, get an education there, and then yeah. work your way towards college? There are so many successful people who have come out of this community. You know, Venus and Serena Williams. I could talk to uh, Hardy Nickerson. I can point to a lot of guys who played ball, who grew up in this area. And look, our parents were hardworking people, right? Both parents worked. You had all day, all summer to go out and play ball. And when you stepped on the basketball court, when you stepped on the baseball diamond or on the football field, it was a battle. And you knew you were going up against the best and everything. We played for Greater Compton uh, in terms of Little League football. It mm. was a battle. I mean, just phenomenal. But there's so many successful people who have come out of this cauldron, right, that if you made good choices, if you were determined to do it the right way, we all knew there was no telling where you could go. And so that's why I wanted to go back there and bring those, those kinds of players to the University of Colorado. And uh, 
few years after I left, we won a national championship. So I can point to the Eric B. Enemies, to the Darian Hagans, the Dion figures, and a lot of other guys who contributed to that success. All right, so you're appearing today courtesy of Macy Knee Cartilage Repair. What it does is it uses the patient's own cells to repair cartilage damage. It's actually a fascinating process. Yes. How does that work? It's called an autologous science, right? It's where it uses your own cells. So let's just say you have mild to generative um, uh, uh, cartilage damage in your knee. Uh, they can go in, they can remove the, the uh, healthy tissue from your cartilage. They put it on this um, collagen membrane and it grows. And then they can go back in and it adheres to the existing tissue and to the bone. And it keeps you from deteriorating and going bone on bone. And you won't have to ever experience a knee replacement surgery, right? And so we have patients out there that over the last five years, it's shown that it's been phenomenal in helping people to get back to their quality of life or return to play. Um, so it's phenomenal. It's already been approved by the FDA. And so this is really good science. All you have to do to find out more is go to the website, www.macy.com, M-A-C-I. Macy.com. That's a pitch right there. That's how you do that. Really quickly as a follow-up, what about like the culture or whatever it is? How long does it take once they go in and they get the tissue that's good and they grow it and then they put it back in? How long does the process take? Uh, it's shown, it's been proven about six months um, back to your lifestyle or back to your event and being able to get back to play. Um, so um, six months, uh, let's face it, when you talk about uh, a serious knee um, injury and to be able to take six months off and then you are able to be restored. We're talking about healthy tissue that involves your own stem cells. So you don't have to worry about trying to get a match, right? It's your own tissue. And so you're just off and selling. You're just have to you be patient. You don't have patient. to fly to Paris for experimental there procedures. You there, there you go. There you go. Absolutely. All right. So I can't let you go without a game prediction. Yeah. What do you like Sunday and why? All the boxes, I think if you were checking off, you'd probably say the Philadelphia Eagles. Great offensive line, great defensive line. Uh, quarterback design runs with Jalen Hurts. There's no way I'm going to go against Patrick Mahomes. It's just, I, I just can't do it. No way I'm going to go against Andy Reid, who gets two weeks to prepare against his former team. You know he's going to throw some kind of wrinkle in there um, to really try to upset the apple cart. But let's face it, this Eagles team is loaded, Tim. They're phenomenal. Loaded. But, I'm, but I'm rolling with the Kansas City Chiefs. Really quickly, I, I get that. I see that. Do you think they can block? Look, Patrick doesn't need to be 100% or near it to be effective. That's right. But can they block those monsters up front? Do you think consistently? I think it remains to be seen. Think about it. I, I talked about it. Adama and Sue is a backup a on joke. this unit. It's a joke. They got four guys with 10 or more sacks. Um, usually defenses historically – Wins out Championships. when it comes to getting to the quarterback and setting the – I just believe Patrick Mahomes is going to find a way. His talent is so immense. Quick throws, getting rid of the ball quickly. Travis Kelsey at the second level. I, I think they have the goods. They've been here, done this before. Three Super Bowls in four years. Are you kidding you know, me? The thing I love about Patrick, his talent is immense, as you point out. Yeah. But he's got the grit to match. That's There's incredible no thing doubt. to me. He's that yeah. tough. He's the fulcrum. I think he's the tipping point. If all things are even – I'm falling on the side of Patrick Mahomes. He is a former NFL safety, six years in the league, and appearing courtesy of the Macy Knee Cartilage Repair. Solomon, great to see you. Appreciate you, man. Great to have you Thanks on. Thanks for having Thank me you. on, man. Great stuff. good to see you. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know that you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection? The latest innovation from Discover. 
Discover will help routinely remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data, and they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. Kenny Dillingham is my guest. Kenny, it's great to see you, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Just got to finish my cup of coffee, so I'm good. Dude, it's already 10:21. At what time did you have that first cup? Uh, about 5:15. That's what I'm saying. I'm on cup four. You're on cup four. Yeah. Had a boy. So when do you cut it off? It depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got something to do with the fact that you not only got your big shot, you got your big shot at your alma mater. What? And if we're already on cup four, what has your last month been like? Month and a half since you jumped into assembling your staff, recruiting, establishing and building a culture, everything else that comes with taking over a program. Yeah, it's been busy to say the least. Uh, you know, right when you get somewhere, you better meet with the players. So when I got here, it was all about meeting with the players, having one-on-ones with the players. It wasn't about recruiting yet. It was about the current. Retaining. Well, it was was about recruiting, right? Recruiting your own. There you go. That's exactly right. Retaining your current roster. So it's been a whirlwind, uh, but the biggest thing is the people in the building. At the end of the day, you have to coach the people in your building, so you better pour into the kids in your building. See, the difference is now it used to be that when a coach would bounce, the players really didn't have any kind of recourse. They couldn't do anything. Now they can. So now they've got that power, and that's good. I think they deserve it. That's good for them. But when you come to a situation like that, generally, what are the players like? I mean, are they skeptical? Are they open to it? Are they excited? Like, what was the group group think or group mentality when you first got here? I think they were skeptical. I think, you know, human nature is, okay, I have this guy who didn't recruit me, didn't sign me, who I don't know, who's walking to the building, and I'm going to put my life and my future in this guy's hands. I think you have to be skeptical. I think it's your job as a head coach to really show the vision for how you think it's going to look and how you can help them achieve their goals. Because at the end of the day, that's your goal as a coach. Help your kids achieve their dreams. You know, it's funny because when Coach Prime got in, he said, in effect, I'm paraphrasing, like, hey, y'all, the door is over there, and probably a lot of you should use it because you're not going to fit in. And he can, and it works for him, and he's got a way of doing things. Is there any part of that in you, or are you trying to recruit everybody and go with a clean slate with everybody in the room to start? Uh, I'm more of a clean slate guy. I think that it's coaches' jobs to help kids. I think it's still our – even though it's a big business, even though my life and my family's career is on the line – I still am obligated to help these kids try to be successful, and I truly believe that. That's the high school coach in me. I still want to help people be successful in life. All right, so that's funny. The high school coach in you, what's interesting is you actually started coaching not high school, but while you were still in high school, right? You were coaching as a high school player. What is the story behind that? So I tore my ACL my senior going into my senior year of high school. I'm already 5'9", unathletic, you know what I mean? So the writing was on the wall, and my high school coach, who's now our special teams coordinator, Charlie Regal, said, hey. How cool is that, by the way? It's awesome. Yeah. And uh, he said, hey, why don't we just start this coaching thing right now? So I started coaching, went to Arizona State while I coached high school for seven years, and, you know, I really got what I feel is my master from physically coaching from the age of 17 kids that were one year older than me so now when people say oh you're young I've been young forever I'm sorry I can't really change that yeah but it's, there's something to that right like I'll tell you how young you are I've done this longer than you've been on this planet so credit to both of us credit that <laughs> you got to this point as quickly as you did and credit to this old man who's still playing the game at a high level credit to both of us but I want to make that point I've done this longer than you've been walking around on this planet but to the point that people are like hey man you're too young you're too young 
What was it like early on when you were coaching guys that you really weren't that much older than? Yeah, I think the key is kids just want to know that you care and want to know that they can get learn better, from you right? and get better. So I think early on I was showing people that I can help you. Let me help you. If you let me help you, I can teach you. I can help you get to where you want to go, and I actually care enough and I give a crap enough that I'm going to do the extra that a lot of people wouldn't. And I think that was really the challenge for me and what I learned along my journey is don't be insecure. Don't think about what other people think about you. Be who you are and help people achieve their dreams. All right, so that makes sense to me. Now, when you were a graduate assistant at Arizona State, when head coach Todd Graham asked you what you wanted to do ultimately, what did you tell him? said, I, I want to be the head coach at Arizona State. I want your job. <laughs> and, and what did he – it was like, hey, man, that's awesome. I like that. Or was he insulted by that? What was his reaction? Uh, I don't really remember a reaction. I think he just kind of turned around and can, we so continued my office. Get the hell out of my office. <laughs> I, I yeah. don't need some guy here trying to get my job. But, but that's what you told him. You flat out said to this guy's face, I want your job. Yeah, the one thing about me is if you ask me a question, I'm going to answer it. I'm very direct. I, I don't have much, you know – you know, I don't know how to say it. Tact. You know, tact. Diplomacy. There's, there you go. I'm just a very, <laughs> if a kid asks me a question, if a recruit asks me a question, if a person asks me a question, I tell you the truth. And not everybody likes it all the time. Now, but you know what, though? It, you want people that do like it and respect it because, by the way, you want to know exactly where you stand. You want the real. You want the raw. And much better than somebody telling you one thing and then doing something else, right? You played. You don't like coaches like that. No question. Couldn't agree more. So when you talk about the program, right, you've got a program with a tradition and facilities, the best weather in the country. Like I'm a California guy, but I walked outside today. Absolutely incredible. There are some things that have to be cleaned up. What are your priorities in leveling the program up and getting it squared away and back on track as a national player? I think the number one thing is the culture. You know, we got to build a culture of you've got to build your culture around what you're going to attract as a school. And you already mentioned it. This school, this metroplex the phoenix area is unbelievable to live in so we have to sell that and how do you do that we're going to have more fun than anybody in the country while working harder than everybody that's our challenge can you fall in love with the process of work because you're either going to be successful and do it miserable every day wake up in misery on your way to success or wake up and have so much fun lollies and candy canes and fail why can you not enjoy the process to be successful? All right, so my thing is, this is not something like this week is just an absolute ass kicker. And if I were thinking the wrong way, I would think to myself, man, I have to go do 40 interviews. My thought process is I get to go do 40 interviews. I'm still here. They still care what I think. I've got the right mindset for it. But your point about you have to love the work do you have to recruit guys that love work, or can you take somebody who thinks that work is work and then teach them how to love the work? I think both. I think you have to you have to create a culture, and you have to know that you have enough people in your building that already have that mindset and have that culture that you're trying to, to create. And then you can combine that culture with guys that you feel like you could get that mindset to switch. So I think it's a combination. I think that's the, the challenge in coaching is how much of this do you have to put into the recipe before you can start adding 
adding this and it doesn't change the flavor. It's like you're making a smoothie and you're like, yeah, I want these really good flavors, but I also they told me I need all this other stuff. I want stuff the health that, benefits, though, man. I want the health benefits. How much good stuff can you put in to hide the health benefits at the same time? That's all you're doing with the program. And so, Kenny, something interesting. You spent the last season as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Oregon. I've got a ton of respect for Dan Lanning, man. I like this guy a lot. I respect this guy a lot. What was the last season like for you, and what were your biggest takeaways from working with him? Yeah, he's a dear friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. Uh, my biggest takeaways was I got to, first time in my career, work for a defensive-minded head coach. So how we practiced was a lot more defensive-oriented, right? Which, as an offensive-minded guy, I've always practiced from the opposite. It was always, how do you practice help the offense? The defense adjusted. This was flipped. And it was a great perspective to me now running a program that I get to balance those two kind of philosophies together to try to help the offense and the defense. The thing about him, you said, we're going to have fun. We're going to have fun here. That's a dude who has fun. His guys have fun. They're serious. They get to work in, but they have fun. Is that in part where you got that from? Yeah, I mean, to me, when, when I was along this process, I've always been genuine in who I am. That's kind of what people always say is, you know what you're, you know where you're going to stand with Coach Dillingham, and this is my personality. And they, people told me, when you get your head coaching job, don't, don't try, change. Don't change. And I took that to heart. So this is who I am. You're going to know who Kenny Dillingham is. It's me. Every day, who I am on Twitter, who I am when I walk into the building, who our team is, and that's me, and that ain't changing. All right, so before you go, you, you just mentioned that you've spent a lot of time on the offensive side of the ball. When you look at the game this Sunday, I know you're into your own thing right now, but you got to have thoughts. When you look at what those two teams do offensively, what do you respect the most about Philly and KC? What kind of thoughts do you have? I mean, they've both adapted with the times. I think when you think about both of their systems right now, they play, they create a lot of off-platform throws for their quarterbacks, right? They move the pocket a lot for their quarterbacks they've both adapted and I think that's why you know I firmly believe uh, coach Reed is one of the most underrated coaches of our era because he has done more with different quarterbacks and had success with almost every quarterback he's ever had and it's his willingness to adapt and his willingness to think outside the box all right so one more thing about Andy Reed not only that all those things are true the guy's beloved he's universally beloved I mean not everybody loves everybody but almost to a man his players other coaches what is it that makes that guy so special why is he so beloved I think he's genuine. I don't know Coach Reed. They're practicing at our facilities this week. Mm. But I don't know Coach Reed, but I, I think he's just genuine. I think at the end of the day, nobody – I don't know Coach Reed. There's a lot of people who are out there who don't know Coach Reed. I bet you Coach Reed is exactly who you think he is. Dude, I, I do know him, and he is that. He is that. He's genuine. great. He's genuine. He is the new head football coach at Arizona State. My man, shot out of a cannon. Kenny, really good to have you on the show. Thanks for making time for us, and I'll look forward to doing it again during the season. Appreciate it. Thank Good you for having me. Good to see you, man. Appreciate you. Romo. What's going on, Bill? How are you? Jim, how are you? Great to be on. Romo, you sound great. Now, you know, Romo, you know for a fact, if you were here, the very first thing I would ask you is what I'm going to ask you right now. Romo, have you gotten in your workout yet today? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and on top of that, I've also skied. Oh, so. look at you, Romo. So was yep. today back and tries day, legs, what did you do? Today was uh, chest and back. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good for you, Romo. I knew it. I wish – I'm sorry that I can't see you in person, but then again, I'm kind of glad because you might have looked me up and down and said, Jimmy, what's going on? It looks like you're not getting in the gym. <laughs> so, well, anyway, but you can hey, watch me on TV and tell me the Jimmy, same thing. by the way, I've lost 20 pounds since last year. Why and how? I did it 
taking metformin and a number of different uh, anti-aging molecules, spermidine, fisetin, uh, you know, and, and I've, I've just been training, doing everything the same, but I feel better than ever. I'm leaner, I'm stronger, and, you know, and, of course, I take my lean one every day. Hey, Romo, you know I come from a position of love and respect. All those things you just mentioned, since I don't really know them by name, is all of this legal? Absolutely. Very <laughs> legal. You know, you know what, Also, too, there's, you know, metformin is a medication. It's actually a diabetes medication. But what they found, Jim, is by taking metformin, there are these diabetics that were living longer than people that didn't have diabetes. So they were like, what is going on here with this medication? So it's got another thing that it's prescribed for, and that's anti-aging. It literally helps you live longer. I like that idea. Nothing wrong with that. Anti-aging is great. Living longer is better. So, Romo, talk for me for a moment about some of the teams you played for. Given what was at stake and how well they were playing, Romo, and Brock Purdy and what he had accomplished, how much did your heart sink when you saw him jack up his UCL on the very first possession of the NFC Championship game? I know. it. You know what? Uh, the 49ers could not catch a break, and it all started with that. And, you know, you hate to see something like that happen because it was such a great story. And, you know, it's, it's funny. When that when uh, when Jimmy G went down and Brock came in, I literally texted Christian McCaffrey and I said, "I'm sorry, buddy, your season's over." And God was I wrong. Mm-hmm. And you know the guy played with so much confidence. You know he he had it factor. He could make every throw and. You know, for a guy that was the last guy taken in the draft, is probably one of the all-time best stories. But now he's going to have his, you know, he's got a long road ahead of him to get uh, that elbow back. Talking to Bill Romanowski. So, Romo, where do you think ultimately that's going to leave them? You're right. I mean, he's got a long road ahead of him. We have to see whether or not it's a Tommy John procedure. But if he has a long road ahead of him and they don't know exactly what they have in Trey Lance and Kyle Shanahan already shut the door on Jimmy G coming back, where does that leave them at quarterback? Well, you know, they've shut the door on Jimmy G before. Right. And what did they do? They brought him back. So I think at the end of the day, I don't think Trey Lance is the answer. You know, when I watch him play, I see fear in his eyes. And I wish that wasn't the case, but that's just what I see. And I don't think he has it factor like we saw in Purdy. But, uh, you know, you never know. You know, there's, uh, you know, over the next couple months, we're going to find out an awful lot about what happens at the 49ers. I think what you just said is very interesting. Bill Romanowski is joining us. So, Romo, what was tougher for you to watch, the Raiders' season go up in flames or Denver crash and burn the way they they did? You know what? It was literally both of them hurt me badly, you know, because I thought with them bringing Russell Wilson, I was like, oh, my God, the Broncos are going to be back this year. And, Lord, was I wrong. And – you know, uh, Josh McDaniels. Well, Romo, Romo, you've been over. wrong about a lot of stuff lately. What's up? You're never I wrong, know. Romo. 
I know it's hey, but and then Josh McDaniels, you know, we did our alumni weekend at the Raiders, and I spent probably an hour and a half, two hours with Josh, and I'm like, God, I like this guy. I'd like to play for him, and but they just did not have the talent, Jimmy. At the end of the day, you got to have the horses, and they did not have the horses. They made a decision to move on from Derek Carr. They're going to have their work ahead of them finding a quarterback. And they have some pieces of the puzzle, but they don't have all the pieces yet. Bill Romanowski is joining us via the phone lines. There's no way I'm on the road without Romo. We'll talk about lean one in a moment. Romo, you know, generally I hate goat talk. I think goat talk is lazy. I think it's near impossible to compare guys across different eras, but I'm actually into it as it relates to you because you played with and against some of the best quarterbacks ever. If I were to ask you who's the best quarterback you've ever seen, how would you answer that? Tom Brady. Tell me. And I, hey, and I played against them. Uh, the best that I played with, I, I have to give it a tie between L.A. and Montana. You know, they were both awesome, great guys. Um, when you needed a play, you could just tell when John Elway walked out onto the field, he was going to kick ass. And it was no different than Montana. You just could tell by the way they had this strut about them. And, you know, I was fortunate. I also played with Steve Young, and Steve Young had it but he didn't have it like Montana, and he didn't have it, you know, like Elway. So, Romo, that said, and again, I love that analysis, what makes Brady, other than the rings, better than the two you just mentioned? You know what? It's his toughness. You know, I, I would put his toughness, John Elway and Tom Brady both were really, really tough. You know, Montana little slight more build could make all the throws but i tell you what between elway and brady both really tough really competitive and but tom's got this it factor in this drive and that's why he was able to play till he's 46 you know think about it elway left the game when he was 37 you know no different than montana you know, so to have that kind of drive at that age and still to be able to play at such a high level, nobody better than Tom Brady, the best ever to play, and I don't know if there'll ever be another one ever come close. You know, I think the point is well taken, Romo, that he not only was able to perform at that level at that age, he still had that will to prepare to perform at that level at that age. Let me ask you really quickly. I think people tend to forget. We talked about your former teams. You played a couple of years for the Eagles. What was that time like for you in Philly? You know what? I had just left the 49ers, Jim, and the environment was really tight. It was, you know, I mean, if you didn't win every game, it was like somebody died in the locker room. And when I went to Philly, I started having fun again. And so I had a blast. Rich Kotite was my head coach. Um, So playing football was fun. And then Ray Rhodes took over the next year. We went to the playoffs. And I had two great years in Philly. I love the fans. There's no better fans anywhere on the planet than Philadelphia fans because, you know, they literally 
boo, you know, Santa Claus, and they'll boo the Easter Bunny, and they boo someone getting married on the 50-yard line at halftime. Gotta love that. I know you do, Romo, because they just want to make them better. They want them. They want Santa Claus to do better. They try to make Mike Schmidt better, Romo. So I miss seeing you here because I love you. I miss seeing the product here because I love the product. I'll never forget that one time you hit me with a Lean One shake, and I couldn't believe how much better I felt immediately. What is the latest with Lean One? You know what, Lean One. I've I've made it taste even better. Um, 20 grams of protein, 17 fruit and vegetable extracts, vitamins and minerals. And it's all about fat burning, Jim. It's all about living lean. Lean One helps you do that. We've got our Gym Rome special 25% off at leanone.com. So, hey, Jimmy, it's staying living lean, staying lean, and, and fighting the fight every day. And, you know, that's what you do, and that's what I love about you, and that's what I do every day. That's what I love about you, Romo. I love that. We're trying to stay in the fight. We're trying to win that fight one day at a time. And obviously, you are a living example. You are living what you're preaching and selling. You lost that weight. Romo, really quickly before you go, I'm curious. I mean, you're trying to get people to live healthier and leaner. What types of things have you done personally so you can be at your best mentally and neurologically? Um, you know what? I take, I take a lot of things from my brain. You know, one is anarcetum, uh, central phenoxine. I take PPQ. Uh, I take a lot of different brain nutrients. I take my neuro one, which is, you know, a phenomenal. So I take care of my brain. I don't drink. I work out every day. Um, you know, I get in a sauna get in the cold tub, you know, Jim, you got to do it every single day. I don't take a day off. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, you can't work out every day. Well, bull crap, you can't. You know, it's not like you're doing chest every day. So why can't you do chest every five days? Why can't you do legs every five days? Why can't you do, you know, tries and buys every five days? You can't. And you know, your heart doesn't stop pumping on Sunday, does it? So why can't you train, you know, seven days a week? That's what I do. I'm in the pool every day. Water is your friend. So I supplement every day. I work out every day. I'm in the pool every day. And it's a daily grind. I, I have this saying, don't let the old man in because he knocks every damn day and he wants it and he wants you to take a day off he wants you to eat doritos on the couch well damn he ain't he ain't coming in this door i'll tell you that and i know he ain't coming in your door because he's knocking you just can't let him in oh no dude he comes in my door he comes in my door he eats my food (laughs) he sleeps in my bed he ain't no he's coming to my door but you're right that's the whole goal man keep that sob outside the door Romo, that is so amazing, the way you just let that. That that is incredible. Do not let him in. A four-time Super Bowl winner. This is why, when even if Romo's not here, Romo gets a prominent spot, even on the phone lines. Bill, I love you. Sincerely, man. I appreciate you so love much. Love you, too, Jim. I appreciate the message. I hope we can see each other really soon. Okay, take care. Good night, now!